1 Samuel, we've been learning all these tremendous lessons that I pray have been a blessing to you. And that's going to continue today. And there's been this constant sort of theme that we've seen, whereas we're, we're understanding that everything that happens in 1 Samuel and in all of Scripture is according to the sovereignty and the plan of God. And we're just going to continue talking about that today. Now, if you know me pretty well, there are two things I'm not a big fan of. One of them is small talk. I just, I don't do well at small talk. I either I'm having a deep conversation or I'm not really talking that much. So I struggle with that. But the other thing I really struggle with is idioms and cliches. I don't like cliches, but there are some especially that irritate me. I think the one that probably irritated me the most growing up as a child was you snooze, you lose. I don't know why I hated that, probably because I had older sister who I would always snooze and therefore always lose as a result of that. Another one is my fault. I hate when people say my fault. Chase says that all the time. My fault. I just, of course it's your fault. I know it's your fault. I hate that one. Uh, Speaking into existence. Hate that one. And then the one I probably hate as much as any of them is wrong place, wrong time. I hate that saying. That one I probably hate the most. Wrong place, wrong time. Listen, personally, I know that there are certain decisions that we can make that will put us in places that we ought not to be. But the fact is that none of those decisions that we make escape the control of God. Wrong place, wrong time, however, implies that there is a place that we can be that is outside of God and that is outside of his timing, but that's just not possible. And so there are going to be a lot of things that happen in our text today that we need to be able to work through, but I don't want you to get lost in all those things that happen. And what we need to see is that even through the weeds, even through all the oddities that we see that None of these people that we see in our text today are out of place. And I hope that you can learn that same principle about your life as well. No matter what happens, none of it is happening out of place with God. So go with me if you will. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 19. We're starting at the very first verse. It says, And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. And there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow, so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul, as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. 
And David was playing the lyre. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul, so that he struck the spear into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, told him, If you do not escape with your life tomorrow, tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through the window, and he fled and escaped. Michal took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He's sick. Then Saul sent the messengers to, to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed and the pillow of, of goat's hair at his head. Saul said to Michal, Why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go, that he has escaped? And Michal answered to Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? Let's pray. Lord God, as we get ready to jump into this scripture, into this text, there are a lot of things that are happening, and some of them are going to feel like it is chaotic and out of place and things are happening without cause, but this is a good time for us to be reminded that everything happens in its proper place and in its proper timing. And so, God, we hope that we are encouraged through this word that everything that happens to us is not by accident, but it happens with great cause, and you are working out a plan in our lives, just as you were with David. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are reintroduced here to our reoccurring theme over the last few weeks. Saul wants David dead, and not just that, but his agenda is even more known as he is trying to collude with other people in order to make sure that David does die. If last week we talked about the enemy being unknown, this week that's out the window. David knows exactly what is happening with Saul because this time it says when he eluded him, he fled because he has now become aware that his king that he's serving under is trying to kill him. But I also want you to notice here how aloof Saul has become himself. He tells all the servants and his son, who is the man's best friend, that he wants David dead. And Jonathan, being the good friend that he is, immediately tells David what was happening with his father. One of the first things that we see here, and one of the common themes in this particular text, is that having the right group of people around you may be the way that God is working his providence out in your life. That's just a fact. Having the right group of people around you may be the way that God is working his providence out for you. This is why David's son Solomon says in the Proverbs that there is safety in many godly counselors. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. Remember, we saw last week that David was unaware of that enemy on his back, but now he knows. And so when Saul goes to his own son to recruit Jonathan's help, Jonathan betrays even his father in order to protect his friend. It is important to have the right group of people around you. 
See, if last week we talked about fighting the enemy, then this week we need to make sure that when we fight that enemy, that we are not fighting that enemy by ourselves. That we are not fighting that enemy and we look to our right and our left and we are in the trenches alone. As we talked about in that friend sermon, it is important that when you fight the enemy, that there are people next to you who are fighting that same enemy and not just fighting you. They're in the proverbial trenches together. See, they are modeling something here that is important for us. The bond that Christians have with one another is unlike any other bond you will find in the rest of the world. And in this case, it led to Jonathan betraying even his own father for what was right in the eyes of God. So Jonathan warns him to be on guard that his father was attempting to take his life. Now, we may think that in this case that God doesn't seem to be working in this, but even in this, God was active and at work. Jonathan goes to his father and at least attempts to be a voice of reason for him. He says, look, don't you remember you celebrated him not too long ago when he killed the Philistine and all the good that he has done has brought you good. See, I want you to notice this, that Jonathan goes in the life of David from just being an informant to also being an advocate on his behalf. It is important to have the right group of people around you who will go before you and stand in between you and your enemy and advocate for you. Now, while Saul wants him dead, Jonathan is advocating on behalf of David here. And the fact that he's befriended Jonathan and that Jonathan is the king's son and that he is now speaking well on his behalf to that king is no accident. It is all working together for a purpose and a plan that God has set before time. Tim Keller, if you don't know who that is, he was a pastor of Redeemer Community Church in New York for years. And one Sunday night, he got up and told them that essentially that church started because of Watergate. Now, let me explain how that church started because of Watergate. Tim Keller planted Redeemer Church because he entered a Presbyterian denomination that encouraged church planting. That's the PCA. He then entered that denomination, though, because in his last semester at seminary, he took two courses with a professor who convinced him that he was Presbyterian and should adopt Presbyterian theology. Now, he sat under that professor because at the very last minute, the professor arrived at the seminary after having bureaucratic visa problems. He was British. Now, while that professor was having visa problems, the seminary dean prayed one day and he didn't know how they were going to get that professor to arrive at the seminary in time. And his prayer partner happened to be a seminary student named Mike Ford. And you probably don't know who that is, but Mike Ford happened to have some clout with the bureaucratic process as his father was Gerald Ford, the sitting president of the United States. Now, why was Gerald Ford the sitting president? Well, Gerald Ford was the sitting president because 
Nixon resigned. Why did Nixon resign? Nixon resigned because a bunch of burglars broke into Watergate and they got caught. Well, how'd they get caught? Well, the burglars were caught because one of them happened to leave a door just a few inches unlatched to an office that had been bugged, and a night watchman went in to close the door and noticed all the things that were happening with the Watergate Hotel. And so this is what Tim Keller says. If that burglar had latched that door, if that door had just been closed a few more inches, that church wouldn't even exist. See, even all those things were working out to a particular end. And all those things, though they seemed disconnected at the time, all had a tremendous effect on that church, which has been witnessing to thousands of people through the years. God is working things out, even if we can't tell that he's working it out. With God, there are no chances. There are no coincidences. Things don't just happen to fall in place. They are all a, a, part, a part of a certain plan that he is working together. Here God was controlling and working all the things that needed to happen in place in the life of David. And he is doing that even in your life in this very moment. Notice how even after Jonathan speaks to his father, there is a war. And again, that war is against the Philistines. And once again, David, who's been charged to be over the wars, prevails. And again, as he prevails, Saul is angry. Remember that we said a few weeks ago about what Scripture says when it tells us about a harmful spirit coming from God. Let's think about it. This war happened because God wanted that war to happen. He wanted there to be a war so that he could show himself strong through David, the future king. He knows that when he shows himself strong through David, the future king, that the sitting king in Saul is going to be angry. And he knew that that would lead to more attempts to kill David. See, when we look at these things as independent, we will naturally feel as though they have nothing to do with one another, that they are a series of random events that are happening. But each of them, in their own way, bears this tremendous amount of weight that will eventually lead to David being the king of all of Israel. Notice here as well, though. Even with all these things happening, there is never an indication that David believes that these were signs that he was in the wrong place. He never says, well, I'm having to jump out of a window. I'm having to disguise my bed. I'm having to do all these things. That must be a sign that I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. There's never that indication for him. In fact, in the midst of all of that, he trusts God anyway. Saul wanted to kill him, but Jonathan advocated for him. Saul wanted to kill him, but his wife, Saul's own daughter, helps him escape. Facing insurmountable odds, God had carefully organized everything so that it would be well with David. God is sovereign. God is in control. And in the moments personally in our own lives, when it feels like there is chaos happening, 
Well, that chaos is all organized according to the sovereign plan of God. The question is, do we trust him? Do we trust him to live our lives faithfully in regard to God, knowing that all the things that he does to us, through us and for us are to conform us to his image? That because none of us is being perfected here and now, but there is an eternity that awaits that he is sanctifying us even now. But unfortunately, many of us will take situations like this and look through our, you know, particular spiritual lens and say, this must be a sign of this or that or this and that. But what of all the things that God is putting you through is a sign that you need him even more than you thought you did. Now, there's something that does happen here that I know you probably noticed it in the text, and I don't want to ignore it. When David, the future king, is reduced to sneaking out of a window to be preserved, his wife isn't just deceptive. She flat out lies. She flat out tells a bold lie. And look, y'all, some pastors may just want to overlook this, but we need to address this because it is presenting for us a bit of a moral conundrum. Now, there are two primary commandments. I knew all of them growing up, but the two that I knew the best, one I really need to know. One, do not kill, and the other, don't lie. I had to be told that quite frequently as a child because you know, I was prone to forget the truth at times. But we know those commandments more than anything, that we should not tell a lie. Now, when we say don't lie and don't murder, we know there are definitely times when murder is permitted. If in defense of yourself or a loved one and the only alternative is to kill that person to prevent them from killing, then we know, okay, According to God's moral law, that is permitted. If killing one person will preserve the lives of others from dying at that person's hand, sometimes things that we learn about war, we know, all right, that is not the same as morally just killing somebody for the sake of killing them. But we also know that these are not just popping up every day. You don't just have to kill somebody every day. That's a rare occasion for that to happen. We've all probably known that one gun-toting guy who was waiting for something to go down so he could claim self-defense. That's not this, okay? No, you're, you're not looking for an out for these commandments here. But likewise, with the commandment, don't bear false witness against your neighbor, we have to exact that commandment as well. Because if that's, if that's just point blank, don't lie, and we got Rahab, we got issues with other folks in the Bible, we got issues with David's wife here. But this means when you look at the text and the context, it meant that you should not lie against someone intentionally causing that person harm. Does that mean that telling a lie in all circumstances and situations is wrong? Well, no. And one of the things that we can't be as Christians is mindless. We can't say that we are mindlessly obeying the commandments without any context whatsoever. 
I've even heard Christians be asked, well, if someone was trying to kill your kids and the murderer asked where they were, would you tell them where they were? And they would say, well, yeah, I would tell them because I'm trusting God to protect them, even if I tell the truth. I'm like, baby, I'm lying. I don't care what nobody say. Somebody bust up in my house like, where the kids at? I ain't got no kids. I don't know what you're talking about. Because my desire is to protect them. I'm saying, no, I ain't seen nobody. And one of these exceptions that we see in our text and in Scripture is almost like murder, is that if one murder will prevent a greater evil, then one lie will prevent greater evil, and it's permitted. We see that in our text. We see that with Rahab and when she lies about the spies. She looks at this, she sees her father coming in, these people coming in to kill David, and she said, look, he's sick. And she had an idol put in the thing. David jumped out the window. Because in protecting him, she was preventing evil. And that's what's important. Now, obviously, some people are going to hear this and think, all right, well, Brandon said I can just go around and start lying, and now it's my commandments, out of commandments, free card. No, you can't. This means, though, that there is a right place and a right time, even for things like that. And understanding that will help us navigate all of these different seasons and stages that we are all in. And that's going to bring me to the the final thing I just want you to see from this text today. And that's that everything happens in a time. Everything happens in a particular season in our lives. I like the way that Solomon puts it in Ecclesiastes 3 and 1. He says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. There's a time to be born. There's also a time to die. There's a time to plant and there's a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. There is a time to embrace and there's a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to seek. There's a time to lose. There's a time to keep. There's a time to cast away. A time to tear. A time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Solomon gives us this important reminder, y'all, and and I want this to be the final thing that you remember from this sermon. Different times in your life may require something different from you. That doesn't mean that it is out of God's control. There are going to be times and seasons in your life where you're mourning. There are going to be times in your life where it feels like you're losing more than you're gaining. There are going to be times where you feel like you're having to keep silence more than you're able to speak. But what Solomon says here, with God, with everything, there is a time. There is a season. And this is not one of those prosperity, your season is coming kind of thing. That's not what that means. But there are times where you're going to either 
be on top or it's going to feel like you're at the bottom. But everything has a time and a place and a season. Just because it feels wrong doesn't mean it is wrong. Just because you feel like you're in the wrong place doesn't mean you're in the wrong place. If you know Christ, you are always in the right place at the right time. That's it. But who's in control of that season? It's God. Yes, we're going to go through the ebbs and the flows in life. Yes, sometimes it feels like life is ebbing more than it's flowing. But at the center of it is the God who uses his means to accomplish his end. You know, when David probably didn't feel like a king, crawling out of a window, dodging a spear, tending a sheep. I bet he didn't feel like a king. Watching his wife put an idol in the bed pretending it was him probably didn't feel like the life of a future king. But that was just that time and that place that God had him in that season. It didn't mean that he was doing anything wrong or that he was in the wrong place. But that was the place and the time God had for him. And this is my encouragement to you. The God of David is your God, too. It's the same God. He ain't changed. He ain't flinched. He ain't altered who he is. That's the same God who was with David, who was with you. And yes, the season in your life may change. You may feel like you're suffering a little bit more at times. You may feel like you're prospering a little bit more. Seasons change. But there's one thing that doesn't change, and that's God. God doesn't change. And in the midst of all of the ebbs and flows that we go through and endure in life, God is the one constant that we can rely on. And so my encouragement to you is, in the midst of the ups and downs, the storms, as the sea blows and tosses you to and fro, my encouragement is that the anchor holds. The anchor holds. No matter where you may feel like you are in life, God is faithful. And you are where you are because God has placed you there. You are at the right place in the right time. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you first for the word. God, we thank you that we find no faithfulness in ourselves. We find no hope in ourselves alone, but that we find hope in you. God, we don't trust in ourselves as others do, but we trust in you. We are placing our hope in you, knowing that you have orchestrated and worked all things accordingly to your plan, God, even though at times it doesn't feel like it, it doesn't look like it, but we haven't been called to go by what we feel. God, you've called us to go by what we know, and we know you. 
And we know that you are holding the worlds together by the word of your power. God, if you can hold the whole world together, you can hold my little life together. Lord, let us take from David and Jonathan and all these others the example that they have set before us. That even in your providence, as you work out God, you work out your providence by surrounding ourselves with good, faithful, believing people who will inform us, who will chastise us, who will hold us accountable, but even in the midst of an enemy would advocate for us, would defend what is right and what is true. But also, God, even when all those things seem to go awry, that you have strategically placed us in time as it pleases you. Lord, I'm confident knowing that there is nothing that I can do, that there's nothing anybody else in this room can do to be outside of your will and your plan if we know you. That's the caveat. If we know you, God, we are right where we need to be. So, Lord, as we go through the rest of this week and we look around in our lives and even as it doesn't always feel like we are where we should be, if we know you, there is no better place, God, for us than to dwell in your, your presence. God, you promised to provide shelter and peace and comfort for those of us who dwell in your presence. It's in Jesus' name we pray.